What's going on, guys? Welcome to or welcome back to Consuming Crime. It's your host, Jules, here. I'm really excited because I just figured out, mind you, I've had this podcast how long and have been using this microphone for how long, and I just realized that this little switch right here, if you are listening and not watching, there's a little button with like a little border around it that you can twist and it'll adjust the volume in which it returns the voice back into your ears which is awesome because sometimes and the reason you need headphones is so you can hear and make sure that it sounds crisp and clear the entire time as well as if like the sounds like obnoxious anyway i'm getting too technical um what's going on guys hi hello i'm wearing the same outfit for the past few weeks remember i mentioned i'm doing my recordings hopefully once a month um because I tried like the strategy of like recording once a week, posting once a week, editing once a week, but I'm like, let me switch it up a little bit. Maybe I'll be more consistent. Before we get started, if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, you can go to consumingcrime.com and hit the become a supporter badge. What that does is you can make a small donation as little as 99 cents to help sustain future episodes. You don't get anything, but it does mean the world to me. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. I am continuing to cover Homicide Hunter with Joe Kenda. This is on Discovery Plus, and today's episode is called Colorado's serial killer. On January 26, 1988, 911 receives a phone call. A fire had broken out in a large apartment complex. The smoke is concentrated in one unit. There are several clothing items on the floor, and this appeared to be deliberate. Somebody, it looks like somebody set this place on fire on purpose. Firefighters start searching the apartment, they go into the bedroom, and they see a man unconscious on the floor. Their initial thoughts are did he pass out from smoke inhalation? What happened? But when they get closer, they see stab wounds in his chest and they call police immediately. They find out that he was a resident of the complex and he did in fact live in that unit they found him in. The wounds were in his abdomen, some in the back, and some were even post-mortem. They are certain that this level of anger felt towards this person meant that they must have been close with them. I'm not buying it. I never buy into that, you guys. But that's what they're thinking right now. They identify the man as Victor Woods, a 31-year-old bike shop employee. They're wondering if the murder and fire are related. Somebody tried to kill this man and then cover it up with the fire. That's what I'm thinking. That's what detectives are thinking too. One detective is saying concealment fires are not common. This only happens if there's clear physical evidence left at the scene. And by the way, it wasn't clear to me in the episode, but the whole apartment complex didn't burn. It was just this unit. So whatever they were trying to do, the perpetrator was trying to do by like destroying evidence they didn't achieve because they called in too soon. Was this a spur of the moment or was this planned? Upon further investigation, Joe Kenda spots that the fire alarm had been disabled. This can indicate that it was planned. Kenda is thinking someone came into the building to kill someone and it did not matter who. There were 220 residents at this complex, women, children, animals, and this building would have burned in minutes. So this person was clearly dangerous and did not have any regard for any human life at all. They begin examining the blood splatter. The knife was swung with great force in all directions. They could just tell because it was like everywhere. From this, they note they need to look for a large blade as the murder weapon. Well, they did not have to look very far because they see a kitchen knife with an eight inch blade on a TV tray next to a chair. I feel like a large blade and an eight inch blade are not the same thing, but this knife was soaked in blood. So clearly, this is probably the murder weapon. That's good. They already know who the victim is. They already got the murder weapon. Case is probably going to close in like two minutes, so today's going to be the shortest episode. They also see a knife missing from the knife block in the kitchen. This tells them that the killer did not show up with a weapon, at least not the one that he used. 
This must have been someone that Victor knew and trusted in his home. Because I feel like if somebody came into the building with intent to kill a random person, they would have shown up with a weapon and not like gone inside hoping there was like a knife easy to grab and stab, you know? Now they'll need to test the knife for DNA because they're thinking maybe the killer wounded himself while he was stabbing Victor. They see athletic socks in the sink. These socks are soaked in blood. Kenda is thinking the killer used the socks to clean up his own blood. That makes sense because he wouldn't have used it to clean up the murder scene. Yeah, so this would have to be the perpetrator's blood. That's what, that's what they're thinking. They send this into the lab for testing. They don't find any prints or sign of forced entry, which like I said, that tells them the victor was familiar with the killer and they must have felt safe enough to allow them inside. Kenda is thinking that this is either a crime of passion or a crime of rage, which I feel like are the same thing. They were either angry or their relationship was passionate. They start outsourcing and talking to any potential witnesses. They start with the 911 caller, a 25-year-old woman living in a unit above Victor. She said around 2.15 in the morning, she heard a loud scream, and it sounded like a woman screaming. She could make out the words, don't do that, and then sounds of a struggle, maybe a fight, and then nothing else. She looks out the window and sees a car driving away. It was black with pinstripes, she thinks, but she's not sure. All she knows is she hadn't seen the car there before. A second witness comes forward, a young female athlete who trains nearby. She had difficulty with a back injury, so she has trouble sleeping. She got up around 2 or 3 in the morning to go get a can of pop, as Kenda calls it, a soda, she wanted a soda, from the vending machine, she sees a car speed off out of the lot. And she only noted this car because it had loud mufflers. It was a very loud car, but she can't describe the car. Now they circle back to the victim. Where was he? Where did he find this person that killed him? They needed a timeline. Who was the last person to see him? They know he died between two and three in the morning. They call his employer and talk to his coworkers. Some people are telling officers that Victor did have some run-ins with another employee. The run-in being name-calling, yelling, screaming back and forth. It's really odd to argue with coworkers this way. I have to agree. I don't care. I love my coworkers, some more than others, but I, not enough to sit there and have a screaming match. Nothing is that serious. This person clearly meant to start a bigger fire, and luckily it did not catch because now there's some evidence. Detectives learned that Victor moved to Colorado from Ohio. He loved the outdoors, being on his bike, skiing in the winter, and things like that. His loved ones said they did not know anybody like him. He got a job working in a specialty bike shop as a mechanic, and he wanted to grow in this path. The news of his murder stunned his family and friends. No one knows who it could be, and they're saying he had no enemies. He wasn't that kind of guy. Again, with the no enemies. Everybody has an enemy, even if they don't know they have an enemy. Come on, not everybody is that likable. Anyway, detect it obviously he did have an enemy because he has a coworker that they don't like he doesn't get along with. Not saying he killed him, but like, come on. Detectives did talk to an ex-girlfriend of his, and she didn't say anything unusual. She said they just broke up, there was no issues or anything. It was like amicable. After talking to his coworkers, they are led to this one guy. Victor and this guy, which is the same guy I talked about earlier. Victor and this guy argue on a consistent basis over a method on how to repair a bike. Screaming, name-calling, yelling over how to repair a bike. Like, there's gotta be more to the story. There's no way. It has gotten out of control on several occasions. And Kenda thinks the same thing. There has to be something else. It cannot just be about bikes. Officers want to know what that something else is. They bring in this man for questioning. 
He denies everything, of course. He is angry. He feels trapped. He's scared. Kenda describes all of these feelings and the way he's acting is completely normal. It's not unusual. He ends up telling them that, okay, fine. It was more than just the repairs. He, this guy was the top dog until Victor showed up. He became afraid of losing his job and he just felt like he needed to protect his job, which I, I do notice that's like a, that's, that is a consistent thing people outburst and they're more emotional when they feel like they don't have control over something so i can definitely buy into this officers use the polygraph tool he denies being involved in victor's death and the test results get this guys the test results reveal that he was lying but kenda's purpose isn't the results it's just to use it to make someone scared enough to confess and this guy even gives an alibi so the thing with polygraph is i think you guys know that they're not admissible in court the only thing they really test for is nervousness and like spike in heart rate. So even if it says you're lying, like it's not enough to arrest or convict somebody. Anyway, this guy gives him an alibi and the alibi is he belongs to a pool league. He was with them all night and all into the morning to have breakfast. And this checks out. They ask people in the pool league and they, yep, he was with us. And it checks out and they release him. Mind you, they don't give me a name. I kept having to refer to him as this guy because... I even rewound it. I tried. There's no name of this guy. So now they're back to wondering who was speeding out of the lot the night of Victor's murder. Victor's last known whereabouts was a local tavern. Detectives go and check this out. This place was only a mile and a half away from his place. His coworkers said he was there that night for happy hour. At least he told his coworkers, I'm going to go to this tavern for happy hour. So they can't like really confirm, but that's where they think he was at. They find out through the workers of the tavern that he was there that night. They revealed he was a regular, but he was known to get obnoxious when he gets drunk. It happens, it happens. He was there all night, he got really drunk, and he just didn't want to go home. They cut him off finally, and he, he gets pissed off because he wanted more. A bartender and waitress do remember a white male in his 30s that was with Victor this night. The waitress describes him as attractive. She couldn't give them anything else. She doesn't give them eye color, height like hair color she just says that he was attractive like okay they left together in a muscle car and all she said is that car had some throat so it was loud okay that kind of matches what we're looking for now detectives are thinking that this is the same car how do you identify a car that people have heard and cannot describe Kenda is thinking this man is going to kill again. The bloody sock DNA comes back and it definitely was not the victims, which is good because now it's leading us somewhere, but the results do not reveal anything specific. Kenda wants to try off the wall techniques. When it comes to the DNA on the sock, they would really need a suspect in custody in order to match it with anybody. They can't look it up in some database. Kenda now wants to try off the wall techniques. One witness says the car was jacked up and customized. Jacked up in like a, it was messed up, or in like a, like a, what, what's the other word to like make something look bougie? Do you know what I'm saying? Jacked up, like, like a pimped up. There you go. That's also slang, but you guys know what I'm saying. I think they're leaning towards the latter definition when they say jacked up. Detectives start calling custom car clubs, auto body shops, muffler shops, everything, and they get nowhere no one can put that kind of car with that kind of guy they expand their search to car clubs outside of colorado springs 
The FBI has a VCAB system, which stands for Violent Criminal Apprehension Program, where officers can enter details about a case into the database. This information can then be compared to information from other cities and states. I believe this is also how they caught other killers in previous episodes. Unfortunately, nothing comes back from this. Everyone is getting frustrated. It feels like there's nowhere else to go, similar to how they feel in other cases, but Kenda and his team are always so resilient in catching people, which I love. Victor's friends are now thinking he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, which I agree. Kenda thinks of what one waitress said about the guy at the bar. He was cute, young, dressed appropriately. What does that even mean? She approached him and he didn't react to her at all which led her to believe he was gay. Again, with the gay stuff, how arrogant do you have to be where if somebody doesn't like you, you assume that they're gay? I'm just gonna sit here and pretend like I've never done that. I hear how it sounds now, though. It's not cool. This leads investigators to talk to everyone that knew Victor. Again, this time asking if Victor showed signs of being gay. What does this have to do? Kenda, what is your obsession with outing people? <laughs> this happened in the last episode, did it not? So anyway, nothing comes of this. The answer to all these questions, besides the gay question, is found 40 miles south of Colorado Springs. On February 3rd, 1988, eight days after the murder, a Camaro pulls into the parking lot of a small hotel in Pueblo, Colorado. A man armed with a 38 caliber pistol walks into the lobby. He pulls the weapon out and tells the clerk, this is a robbery. A security guard goes into the lobby and a man points the gun at him. I wonder if the guard was trying to be like a hero or if he just didn't see. Because that would suck if he just didn't see the guy. The man points the gun at him and he tells him, I know you're armed, don't go for your weapon. He takes the weapon from the security guard and then shoots him in the face. You're already disarmed. Okay, I don't think he was wearing a mask either. So it was one of those situations where he probably felt the, the need to kill any witnesses. But like, it doesn't make it okay. The guard survived. That part tripped me out. The guard survived this and he heard what happened next. And like long enough to testify about it later, by the way. The suspect went back to the lobby, shot the clerk, and then drove off and it sounded like a loud vehicle. This could be the same car. Why, why would he kill somebody for some cash? Now they're thinking this dude must just want to kill people. Like that's, it's just, that's all he wants to do. Kenda is now looking for what seems to be a serial killer. The only thing they know is he is a white male in his early 30s and he drives a loud muscle car. Didn't we just say it was a Camaro though? One week later, another man turns up dead. The hotel workers say this same suspect robbed the same hotel several weeks prior. A female clerk was being held up and she described him. This description was similar to what the waitress of the tavern described. Good looking, white male in his early 30s. How can you... If a guy is pointing a gun at your face, threatening you, how can you later say that this man was attractive? And let me show you, like, I'm going to show you a picture of this kid. Like, I'm not even going to say anything. Just figure out your own opinions there. This time, a tip comes into the police hotline. They had overheard a man named Ronald Lee White making comments about having hit the hotel hit the hotel, and then he was going to do it again. White had an extensive criminal record and he had been living in an apartment in Colorado. Quable officers try contacting Colorado Springs officers, however, these attempts do not reach Kenda. 
Kenda is not aware that there is a pending arrest. Officers take a photo of White and use it in a photo array with the victims. A photo array, they show pictures of the suspect and like a couple of the people that look similar to the suspect in order to get a witness to say and all of them to agree on the same person. They all identify him as the killer. Officers are now set up outside of White's residence. He has no idea they're outside. He leaves his apartment and he's arrested immediately. Officers describe him as one of the most chilling suspects they had ever had. I thought, can you be chilling and attractive or can you just be like chilling and creepy? I don't know. No one sees possibility of rehabilitation. At this point, all it is is keeping him off the streets. The day after his arrest in Pueblo, Kenda is made aware of the bulletin on white. Kenda sees white male, brown hair, hazel eyes, early 30s. He has a blue Chevy Camaro with light blue pinstripes and he is under arrest for two counts of murder. Kenda knows this could be our guy, but he hides his excitement because he knows he's felt excited in the past in this case and he doesn't want to get his hopes up too high. While White can be confirmed as the hotel shooting suspect, they have to link him to Victor's murder. The waitresses at the tavern says the picture looks like him, but that doesn't make for a positive ID. The closest link is the car, but one witness thought the car was a Trans Am, which I'm gonna, or Trans Am, sorry. <laughs> Trans Am, which is, is this kind of car. I had to look it up. I don't know why, I thought it was that like boxy car with like the windows. Oh, I don't know, this is what I thought a Trans Am was, and then this is what it is. They don't have enough to arrest him for Victor's murder, but they could still talk to him. Kenda requests a transfer of the inmate. He wants him to wonder why he's being transferred. He always, Kenda often says that a person's worst enemy is their own mind. So he wanted him to think about this on the way over. Kenda has his detectives talk to him first and White just sits there, unfazed. He seemed annoyed. Kenda walks in and White is literally sleeping. Like, are you really sleeping just to be an asshole? Kenda notices that White looks over at the no smoking sign and he like glances at it. So he's, he goes, did you want a cigarette? And he's like, oh yeah, uh, no, I'm okay. Like it's, it says no smoking. And Kenda's like, you know, I kind of run this place. So you can want a cigarette, you can have a cigarette. So he's kind of playing good cop a little bit. And he gives him a cigarette. And when he goes to light the cigarette, he tries to make note of his hand. Does he have a cut on his hand? Maybe this is the same cut. They tried to clean up with the bloody socks in the sink of Victor's apartment. So he looks for it. Doesn't see much. He starts telling White, you've been positively identified by a waitress and tenants of Victor's apartment. And White just looks at him. He's not responding. He doesn't say a word. You killed him, didn't you? And suddenly White says, he came on to me. This is another homophobic killing. Really? And so Kenda responds, try again. And White just responds. He, he smiles and he says, maybe he just pissed me off. So he did it. Obviously he did it. Um, and I'm like, either he did it or no, he did it. I'm sorry. He did it. I don't have any other thoughts. I wish I had played devil's advocate, but with this one, no. So White does not admit what led to the violence. And Kenda believes that Victor just wanted to ride home and he ended up asking the wrong guy. Kenda thinks that there are more victims, but there is never knowing. White does admit to killing an old roommate. This is this is the most ridiculous like killing I've like story I've ever heard. He said he's a Star Trek fan. 
right? Which like red flag already. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. If you like Star Trek, it's a joke. So his roommate wanted to watch something else. So he's watching Star Trek in the living room and his roommate's like, ah, oh, no, dude, I'm going to change it. Because of this, White shot his roommate in the face. I am so glad I don't have roommates anymore. Like, I'm, I'm very paranoid and th that definitely would have scared me a little bit. That's not okay. White pleads guilty to Victor Woods, the hotel clerk, and his roommate in killing all of them. He receives a life sentence with no possibility of parole. Thank you very much, by the way, for finally putting somebody away for life and not this, like, parole in 2012 crap. I'm over it. He ends up telling the judge that he played a role in over 15 murders, which I don't believe for a second. I think that he just, he was just an arrogant asshole. And I think he wanted people to be curious. Because listen, if you're that messy with your killings and you're just shooting people because you feel like it, you're not wearing a mask or anything, you're not even succeeding and trying to cover it up you didn't kill more people and if you did it wasn't 15 and no he was just arrogant and he wanted more credit rest in peace to victor woods the hotel clerk which i wish they would have named and of course Hare's roommate which they did not name but rest in peace man these people are crazy yeah man just they just get so mad i never know how to end things like i just i get so heated sometimes and i just want to like go on a rant about how people are so evil but like we all kind of know these things just be careful out there you guys and i know sometimes you can only be so careful um but yeah other than that thank you for consuming crime with me today and you will hear me next week in another outfit for my youtube watchers because today is the last episode i'm recording today so see you next week